0: We're going to start with our memory verse of the month. So our memory verse of the month for the month of January is Daniel 2:18. So if you'd say this with me. Daniel 2:18. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning the mystery, so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Daniel 2:18. We'll dig into this a little bit as we go through the message today, but I wanted to start by asking you to take a second and just think about all of the places in our world where one might be tempted to draw on man's wisdom, or places where man's wisdom has been pitted against God's wisdom in our world. Think about it. Creation versus the Big Bang Theory. How about... Other things, marriage, is it between one man and one woman? What about things like abortion, euthanasia, the transgender movement? There are all sorts of places where man's wisdom is pitted against God's wisdom. And the thing I want to tell you is that it's not dumb people that are coming up with these ideas. These are very smart people. The problem is they're not God. And these people don't have the wisdom of God Almighty. So today, as we dig into Daniel chapter 2, we're going to see man's wisdom contrasted with God's wisdom. And I want you to just sort of see how that plays out. When we truly rely on God's wisdom, God blesses abundantly. The problem, the problem is not that people don't think, the problem is that people don't trust in themselves instead of in the God of the universe. So we need to trust in the wisdom of God as we go through life. And so we're going to see today in the text that there is a supernatural reality. The supernatural is real. It is something that happens. It is something that exists. But we have an incredible access because of that to the toolbox of God. So, Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 2. And let me remind you what happened in Daniel chapter 1. In Daniel chapter 1, what we saw was Daniel and his three friends were in the nation, the kingdom, really the empire of Babylon. They served as royal advisors because they were found to be 10 times wiser than all of the people who had grown up in Babylon. But as we begin chapter 2, we're going to find ourselves wondering, find ourselves really asking a question. How do these four followers of God continue to impact their nation, continue to impact the world in which they found themselves? What is it that followers of God can do to have a great impact? So let's read Daniel chapter 2. We won't go through all of it here. We'll sort of break it up. It's a long passage. And it's the sort of passage. When I first read it, I thought, "Oh, great! So how am I going to turn this into applications?" But I think I think there's some good applications here. So let's read Daniel two, starting in verse one and through verse sixteen. Says, "In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled, and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed." When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, May the king live forever. Tell your servant the dream, and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive for me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more, they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then tell me the dream and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king. There is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among us. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, Why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Ariok then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Daniel, in the midst of really a disaster, is going to teach us an important thing. The first thing I want you to see is that there is a supernatural reality that has a real and present impact on each of us. We need to understand, we need to realize that there is a supernatural reality out there. The supernatural is real, and it has a impact on us. We live in a world that often focuses on the physical. You know, I have to see it to believe it. I need to be able to experience it, to feel it, to touch it, to perform science on it but we need to find a balance. Because in reality, there is a supernatural. And sometimes things that happen in our lives are the direct result of the supernatural. Sometimes the supernatural creates real events that occur to us. That's the reality that we live in. Now we have to strike balance. Every bad thing that happens to you is not because of Satan. Sometimes there's other reasons. Like sometimes it's you did something bad. Sometimes it is God trying to get your attention. Every dream that you have is not given to you so that you can interpret it. In fact, we have the completed word of God. So we probably shouldn't go around interpreting our dreams. Because we have God's word. It's already given to us. But there is a supernatural reality. And it impacts us. Nebuchadnezzar was in an interesting position. He had a dream. Whatever was happening, this dream troubled Nebuchadnezzar. He thought, there is more to this dream than I am seeing right now. There is more going on than what meets the eye. In reality, it all comes down to this simple fact that it's actually natural. It is natural to look for meaning beyond the natural. This is something that's sort of built into us. Because there's a supernatural reality, it's natural for us to look into meaning beyond the natural. I'm not saying that every dream, every feeling, or anything like that is a message from God to you. No. You own, if you don't own and you'd like to own one, you can ask us about it. We'll give you one. You own God's message to you. You don't have to go looking for dreams. But at this time... Nebuchadnezzar was given a message. There is a natural tendency to look beyond the natural, but we must be careful because there are some who will happily take advantage of our natural tendency to look beyond the natural. In the text, we see that there are charlatans. Within the group, within the ranks of the Babylonian court, there were a number of astrologers, sorcerers, and enchanters. And these individuals sought to take advantage of the supernatural. The text makes it very clear to us that they're charlatans. They did not possess special knowledge, but they were seeking to take advantage. So here's the situation that we must recognize. There is a supernatural. There is a supernatural reality out there. God, angels, demons are all real. God, angels, demons, all interact in our physical world. It exists. It's out there. We also must recognize, though, that there are people who will happily take advantage of us, who will happily use that for their own purposes. And unfortunately, unscrupulous attempts to take advantage of the supernatural sometimes even paint God's people in a bad light that's the reality. If you go out in the world, you will find people that hear that you are a Christian, or that you follow Christ, or that you go to church, and they'll automatically assume that you're part of one of those groups of people that seeks to use religion as a weapon to oppress the rest of us. Because people have done that. If you look at history, historically, people have used religion in very bad ways. In the case of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar saw right through people's lies, And so he demands proof that his astrologers are actually what they say they are. So Nebuchadnezzar says, all right, I know you guys make up stories in order to make me think that you know more than you really know. So he gives him a test. He says, I had the dream. Now you guys get to tell me what my dream was. He put the charlatans on notice. And how do the charlatans respond? What you ask is impossible. Only God can do that. Well, I thought you said you spoke for God. Only God can do that, O king. And so this is the situation. The supernatural exists. The supernatural had impacted Nebuchadnezzar's life. People had sought to take advantage of that. And so we find ourselves with Daniel. Daniel. Daniel and his friends found themselves dealing with a situation in which they were fighting an uphill battle because people had improperly used the supernatural. And so what does Daniel do? He asks for time. Nebuchadnezzar, I'm going to need some time to do this. The text also tells us that he tactfully, in verse 14... He spoke to him tactfully with wisdom. God's people, us, must draw on wisdom and tact as we interact in our world. Our world is full of people who doubt the supernatural. So we must act with wisdom and tact as Daniel did. I have to remind myself to slow down that's that's where my wisdom and tact needs to come in i a lot of you know me well you know that i i don't like to wait for much of anything i tend to to be doing things quickly i have to remind myself hmm you should pray before you hit send on that email hmm you should go ask somebody else what they think before you respond to this acting with wisdom intact that's what daniel did and it paid dividends. So let's turn this into an action step early on in the text. Determine to tactfully and wisely interact with those who do not know God. We're going to find God's wisdom pitted against the world's wisdom here. The wise men of Babylon, the astrologers, the enchanters, the sorcerers, they had no idea what they were dealing with. So what does Daniel do? He mocks them, criticizes them, ridicules them. No, he slows down, asks for time, deals with it with wisdom and with tact. Let's continue reading, starting in verse 17. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. He urged them to plead for God, for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness, and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God, of my ancestors. You've given me wisdom and power. You've made known to me what we have asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. I want you to see, with the reality of the supernatural, there is a consequence, and that is that God's people have extraordinary tools at their disposal. God's people have extraordinary tools that we can draw on. What's the point of Daniel chapter 2? I think it demonstrates God's superiority, God's wisdom, but I think a secondary point of chapter 2 is for us to realize the tools that God has given us valuable tools, that when we use these tools, as we interact with the fallen world, we will see victories. So what's the first tool that I see Daniel draw on? His friends. Those who follow God are not alone. This is huge. Those who follow God are not alone. Daniel is able to go to his friends, and they're mentioned by name, and I find this really interesting. Interesting. The names here, I think, are important. Why? The text could have simply told us Daniel went to talk with his friends. But it doesn't. In fact, it tells us exactly who he goes and talks to. He wasn't alone. In fact, there were three people mentioned by name, three specific people. And the names that are given to us are their Hebrew names. Not their new names that are given to us. Why? Because they were followers of God. God has given you an extraordinary tool in the Christian friends that you have. Daniel was not alone. No effort of Babylon could erase the identity of Daniel and his friends. No effort of Babylon could remove Daniel's godly friends. So the text refers to them by their godly names. So what does Daniel do? Takes his problem to his friends. God has placed you in this church for a reason. Here, you have friends. Here, you can have relationship. We need to realize that we're not alone. And when trials come, we can turn to people who will support us. So, what does Daniel do with his friend group? He draws on the second tool that I see in the text. The most powerful tool in the arsenal is prayer. The most powerful tool that we have access to because of the reality of the supernatural is this tool called pray. One of the phrases that drives me nuts that I find myself guilty of, and I find lots of people guilty of, is a situation will arise. Somebody will you know, be talking about it, and will say, well, all we can do is pray. <laughs> all we can do is pray. No, 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 no. Like, yeah, maybe that is all that we can do, but well, at least we can pray. We can pray about this to the God of the universe who can solve this problem right now. It's not all we can do. It's all we should do. Don't use prayer as a signal of defeat. Use it as a signal of hope. I want to draw your attention to the prayer. In particular, I want you to see the the specific prayer given in Daniel 18 or more specifically, the absence of the specific prayer given. We're not told actually what Daniel prayed about. Or, sorry, we're we're told what he prayed about. We're not told how he prayed about it. No, Daniel doesn't record for us exactly what he said. What we know is it doesn't look like he prayed that Nebuchadnezzar be struck down or removed from office or destroyed. No, the prayer itself isn't actually mentioned. What we are told is that they prayed. They ask that they might not be executed. God, save us. God, have compassion on us. And what happens, what is revealed, is that God answered the prayer. And I want you to look at verses 19 through 23, because while we're not given the exact words of the prayer, that's missing, we are given the exact words of the praise that follows the prayer. I think that's significant, because the glory be gone belongs to God alone, and that is significant. I was struck by this. As I studied the text, I was struck that I don't know exactly the words Daniel used to pray to God. I, I kind of wish I did. I will admit that. I wanted to know, you know, what was Daniel's magic prayer that brought him such victory? And it's not in the text. It'd be nice to know what it was. Like, what, what did he say? But you know what would happen? I'd focus on that. And what does God want my focus to be? On his glory. The prayer that we have recorded for us is a prayer of praise. A prayer that shows us that God is the God of wisdom and power. We see that God changes the unchangeable. We see that wisdom and knowledge come from God. So in light of this, I want to challenge us this week. I want us to be praying, but I want to challenge us to pray with a particular motive this week. Oftentimes when we pray, we pray with the motive of something that will benefit me. And that's not wrong. It's okay to pray for yourself. But I want you to pray with a motive of bringing God the glory. It's a slight shift. God, I pray that you would help me with this situation at work in a way that you would receive glory, in a way that would give me the opportunity to give you the glory. God, I pray for this person's health that you might receive the glory. Let's pray with a motive of God's glory and see how God richly rewards. I want to invite all of you to pray. I want you to determine to pray with others fervently and with the goal of giving God the glory two opportunities to pray that I want to specifically mention wednesday's at noon we always meet in the nook and we pray and we pray for an hour you can come for any portion of that if you want to come for the whole hour we'd welcome you for the whole hour if you want to just come for 10 minutes you've got you know in between meetings and you've got 10 minutes stop in for 10 minutes pray with us with the goal of giving God the glory the other opportunity to pray Every Sunday morning before the service, a group meets in the nook and prays for the service that God might receive the glory. I want to invite you to pray for that. Some of the most successful churches in history have talked and written about the fact that prayer is what drove their church. Praying to God. In fact, I've read stories of churches that had a team whose job was to pray during the sermon, knowing that prayer is the key. So, determine to pray with others, pray fervently, and pray with the goal of giving God the glory. Let's go on, verses 24 through 35. Then Daniel went to Arioch, when the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon and said to him, do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king and I will interpret the dream for him. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. The king asked Daniel, also called Belshazzar, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that passed through your mind as you were lying in bed are these. As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come, and the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. Your majesty looked and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold Its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. Real wisdom comes from God. The credit. Since real wisdom comes from God, God deserves the credit. With the right information in hand, Daniel begins the process of stopping the exit. I want you to notice the words of Ariok in verse 25. Arioch says to the king, "King, I have found someone." Not true. Not even remotely true. Daniel had gone to Arioch. Daniel had found Arioch. But Arioch, you know, he wants to take some credit. King, I found someone. So how does Daniel respond? Look at verse twenty-seven. Nebuchadnezzar asked Daniel. Are you able to interpret dreams? And Daniel says, no. No, no man can do this, king. It's striking to me because Daniel tells the king exactly what the other wise men had told the king. What you are asking, king, is impossible for any man to do, but there is a God in heaven that can do this. And this God in heaven has chosen to do it for you, Nebuchadnezzar. Unlike the gods of Babylon, the real God can't be manipulated. The real God makes his own choices. And since real wisdom comes from God, God gives that wisdom to whomever whomever he chooses. Real wisdom comes from God, and God gives it to who he chooses And God was going to show Nebuchadnezzar what was about to happen because God had chosen to. God knows the mysteries of the universe, King. You can't manipulate him into telling you, you can't earn his favor. But, King, since God's chosen to reveal it to you, you can know. I love the way Daniel puts it, or describes it. God didn't choose to work through me because I'm smarter than somebody else. No, he chose to work through me because he chose to do it, so that you would know. God works through us, not because of the tools that we bring to the job. God works through us because he chooses to work through us, through his grace. I often think, in fact, Often, God chooses to work through us not because of the tools we bring to the job, but because of the tools that we don't have that he's going to bring to the job. You know, he says, I'm going to work through you in this because I know you don't have any tools and I don't want your bad tools to mess up the job anyways. It's true. This is how our God works. And in fact, since real wisdom comes from God, God gets to choose how that wisdom is communicated. For Nebuchadnezzar, the wisdom came through a dream. I have said it several times. I'm going to continue to say it, and you will hear it several times through this series in Daniel. We have the complete word of God. Okay? We have the complete word of God. This is how God now chooses to communicate through us. If you don't like it, tough luck. This is what God does. He works through his word to communicate to us. And since... Wisdom comes from God. He gets to choose how it's communicated to us. In this case, God chose to communicate through his word, through a dream, and through his servant Daniel. So, how do we respond to this? How do we take action? I want to encourage you. Set aside your wisdom. Set it aside. And draw on the wisdom of God by making Scripture a priority in your life. Many of us have started a New Testament Bible reading plan where we're reading through the whole New Testament in the year. If you have not started that and you want to, send me an email or send Chris Bay an email and we'll get you into that reading plan. It's been really powerful. But set aside your wisdom and draw on the wisdom of God by making God's wisdom a priority in your life. Let's keep reading. Let's finish out the chapter, starting in verse 36. It says, this was the dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. Your majesty, you're the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory in your hands. He has placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the sky. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are that head of gold. After you, another kingdom will arise, inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything— And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. Yet it will have some of the strength of the iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay." In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain, but not not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. I want you to see God is sovereign. First, Notice that God had placed Nebuchadnezzar in the position of king, the head of gold. Daniel has a lot of praises for this head of gold in verse 36 through 38. You are the king of kings, but the God of heaven is the one who has given it to you. Yes, Nebuchadnezzar, you are great, but only because God is greater. In 39 through 43, Daniel reminds Nebuchadnezzar that, in fact, God is in control of all the events that will happen. History is laid out before God, and he is in control of it. After Babylon, there would be three more major kingdoms. Scholars debate exactly what these kingdoms represent, and I'm not an expert, but I will give you my opinion, my position. I think the second kingdom is likely the Medo-Persian Empire, which overthrew the Babylonian Empire. And it's possible that it being the chest with the two arms is representative of it being two nations that combined in order to do this. The belly and thighs made of bronze, I believe, represents the Greek Empire. In particular, under Alexander the Great, bronze is very, very strong. And so it makes sense for that to be the Greek Empire under Alexander the Great. At the time, the Greek Empire extended over what was known as essentially the entire world. In 63 BC, the Romans conquered the Greeks and formed the empire that was known for strength and power, ushering in what was known as the Pax Romana, or Roman peace. It was far from peace. It was ruled with an iron sword. But as time went on, the Roman Empire power began to wane and really fall apart. Two metals mixed together make a stronger alloy. Metal and stone mixed together make junk. And eventually the Roman Empire just sort of fell apart. But the point is not the empires here. The point is that God knew exactly what was going to happen. He ordained it. He is the one who is in control. But there's something else here in the text. A statue, we have another word for this, idol. There is a tendency for us to overemphasize Our human works. And our governments, our structures of society, our human constructions that we tend to idolize. We all do it. We all idolize our government in one way or another. And the point of verses 43 through 45 is to remind us that God will establish his eternal kingdom. I should say, I suspect that the ten toes actually probably represent ten kingdoms in a tribulation period that is to come. I think that we're not done with the statue yet. But after that, Isaiah chapter 2 verses 2 to 3 speaks of the mountain of the Lord being God's temple being established in the highest of mountains. There is a time coming when God will establish his kingdom and will overthrow all kingdoms of this world. God is sovereign. And God wanted Nebuchadnezzar to know that he had put Nebuchadnezzar in that position of power, he would put other people in that position of power, and one day he would overthrow it all and establish his kingdom. I want you to think about chapter 2 for just a second in its context of following chapter 1. Daniel's life has been turned upside down. As a young, probably teenager, he is captured, hauled to a foreign country, told, forget everything you knew before. Forget your gods, or God in Daniel's case. Forget your culture, forget your temple, forget everything. God protects Daniel in chapter 1, but he's still a slave. Daniel is still a slave. Not only is Daniel still a slave, but in chapter 2, Daniel is a slave facing imminent execution. The reminder that God has for Daniel comes here at the end, and that reminder is that God will establish his kingdom, God will right all that is wrong. In the end, God wins. So what's the action that we need to take? What do we need to be reminded of? We need to be reminded to worship God. Let's read verses 46 through 49. Then Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings, a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon while Daniel himself remained in the royal court. Worship God. That's ultimately our call. We have been promised God's kingdom. Jesus came to earth, died, paid for our sins, rose again, returned to heaven, but he is coming again and his kingdom will not end. That's the hope of Daniel 2. That's the realization of Daniel 2. God's wisdom is worth it because God wins in the end. So what do we do? We pray. We study his word and we faithfully continue to trust. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are in control, that you are the sovereign God of the universe, the one on whom we can depend, the one on whom we can trust. But, Saying that is one thing. Practicing it is something else. So I pray that you would teach us to depend on you, not our own wisdom, not the wisdom of the world. Teach us to come to you in prayer. Make that a priority in our lives. Teach us to search your word that we might know the wisdom that you have for us. You are the great God who gives wisdom and knowledge to who you choose through the ways that you choose. Make that wisdom and knowledge a priority in our life and in our church. In Jesus' name, amen.